Becky, look at her banner. It's beauty, bitch. Warning, this show contains adult content, strong language, mature themes, discussions of sexuality, politics, triggers, and <gasps> feminism. Listener discretion and or earphones are advised. Hey, welcome to Bitchstory, the podcast about badass women in history that were left out of the history books because the patriarchy is a bunch of whiny brats. <laughs> I'm Lisa. Kelly makes me say smarty pants, Lisa. She hates it. How about SPL? I mean, if I say no, does it matter? Mm, probably not. Okay. <laughs> That's what I figured. So, hey, if you'd like to advocate for me to have naming freedom or... <laughs> You just like to say hi. You can do that at the coolest email address ever at heybitches at bitchstory.net. That's heybitches at bitchstory.net. Because great. I love I love hate mail. Great. <laughs> you can also visit us at anchor.fm forward slash bitchstory. And if you feel inspired, you can click the support button. So would you feel better if I went by like bitchy pants, Kelly, or like BPK? That sounds like a serial killer. BPK. <laughs> <laughs> I would not feel better. Nope. <sighs> You're a tough crowd. There's a Pisces full moon brewing. I'm feeling it. Um, I am actually feeling that fucking Pisces full moon. Are you? Whew, yeah. These past couple days have been like very soupy emotional, I have to say. Soupy, yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, very victim-y. I feel very um irritable and just mm, pissy. I mean, above and beyond my normal baseline level of irritable and pissy. <laughs> More than usual. So, yeah, I don't like full moons. And um, if you're into astrology and you like it when we chatter about this shit, then you should either read my Bitch Scopes or subscribe to the Bitch Scopes podcast. Um, you can search for Bitch Scopes and it should come up. Um, there should be, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, if you hate astrology talk, then I'm so sorry about your luck. Um, I was saying in Bitch Scopes that this is not what I would call a favorite lunation just because it's just emo. Um, the day, so Friday, tomorrow, we're recording this on Thursday. Tomorrow, Mercury stations retrograde. So tomorrow is the most bajiggity of the met retrograde days when it's stationing and it's at its absolute standstill, so to speak. It's all an illusion. But anyway, um, that's the bajiggityest of the days. And then the very next day, we have this full moon in Pisces, which is like super emo, heightened emotions crap. Mm -hmm. um, and we have Mars... And it's retrograde shadow. Mars retrograde is, I think, 10 times worse than Mercury retrograde usually. How long does it last, Mars? Uh, this Mars is going to be in Gemini for seven months. Yeah. It doesn't actually go retrograde until the end of October, I think. I My dates are all over the place. But I think it's the end of October that Mars retrogrades. Um, and it'll retrograde for several weeks and then it'll go forward again so it won't be retrograde that whole time in gemini but it'll be in gemini 
which is my rising sign. So I'm not looking mm -hmm. forward to this. Um, if I'm this level of pissy and irritable for the next seven months, let's just pray for my marriage because <laughs> Jesus, Joseph and Mary, this is not going to be okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's right on my ascendant. So bleh. anyway, let's talk about something more uplifting. Like, oh, I don't know, the news. <laughs> yes. We're living in extraordinary times. Um, <laughs> Which I'm so sick of, frankly. No, so am I. Um, the one bright spot is that uh, Britney Spears' lawyer um, sort of handed K-Fed his ass for being a punk um, for posting the videos that the, I'm just going to say, shitty little brats, her sons, took years ago. Um, and we've talked about this every week, but um, yeah, so Brittany's lawyer kind of roasted him on that, which made me happy. Um, and then in other Brittany news, I mean, we already know that Brittany Griner was sentenced to nine years in a Russian penal colony. Um, they have compared this penal colony to concentration camp living. So I'm really, it just, it hurts me. I, so I just, I have an article here and I will post it in the show notes. It's sort of posing the question like, where are the <laughs> efforts to get her home? Where is the campaign to free her? Where is the anything? Um, right. Well, initially they had said like, oh, we're not going to make a big deal of it. So they don't use her as a bargaining sure. chip. Sure. Right. Okay. And that kind of made sense That's at the that. beginning. But come on. I mean. I know. Yeah. And then I read somewhere in this article that, let's see. This is, quote, in light of the circumstances she is about to face, we should be stepping up our efforts to free Greiner. It was even reported that as many as 30 American players will be going to Russia to play during the WNBA offseason. What the fuck? Why? This is largely due to the weak salary structure of the WNBA. But these players will be making themselves hostage targets in a much different Russia than they were familiar with a year ago. Why are we going there? Why? I am so right. pissed off. Why is the WNBA going to Russia? I don't give a shit about the weak salary structure. I mean, that's a whole other rant. But why the fuck is any BA going to Russia? Why? Right. I'm outraged. Well, and we haven't done any. There have been like no sort of economic. I mean, we're already sort of sanctioning them over Ukraine, I guess. So I don't, maybe there's just nothing more we can do. But come on. Why the fuck are we going there? I'm so, I'm aghast. Yes. So, yeah. I'll, um, I'll post this. Yeah, exactly. And some other words, probably. Um, <laughs> I'll post this article in the show notes so y'all can be aghast and agog, too. <laughs> and um, I feel like there needs to be a third word. Aghast, agog, akimbo, askew, uh Akimbo, I like. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, akimbo is a good word. So, uh, yes. Anyway, um, that just sucks. Mm -hmm. In regular, non-Britney, mostly shitty news, um, today, Queen Elizabeth died at the age of 96. So, that's sad. I mean, uh, yeah, there's some things in history that, you know, 
has her name on it that aren't so great, but she gave basically she her rain. You're bound to have a few slip ups here and there. Right. I mean, you know, world wars are not the easiest to navigate for anyone. Mm. I feel like she did a pretty bang up job compared to some of the shit that's going on now. Um, 70 years is an amazing rain. So I'm sad. Um, I saw this um, picture. It's like a cartoon illustration on Facebook. Um, it says it's Queen Elizabeth and her green. It's from behind. They're walking away in her green outfit with her green hat and her coat. One of the corgis. And she's holding hands with Paddington Bear. Mm. And it says, I've done my duties, Paddington. Please take me to my husband. Aww. I know. Because Prince Philip was 99. I mean, I, I'm i assuming that they live forever because they have such amazing attention paid to their health. True, true. I mean, that's the only thing I can figure unless... These... Now we know for sure they're not vampires, so that's good. <laughs> I just, it's astounding how old they were. Um, amazing. Anyway, um, the flag was lowered to half-mast over Windsor Castle at some point today and an, and then a rainbow appeared just over the castle just for a few minutes and then it was gone so it's just there's a cool picture of it several mm. several many several hundred i don't know how many people but there's pictures of it floating around it's very cool very cool rest in peace yeah. i mean that's i mean we'll have to do a show on her i mean to take that to take on that kind of responsibility at 26 yeah um we oh. should do a show on her i feel like I feel like she's been so very covered because of the crown and everything, but not everybody watched that. So um, we should cover her. She definitely will be in the history books for like all the <laughs> 70 years. She's going to be in all the history. There's no getting around her. Um, nope. <laughs> every, for, but, every for her, pretty much. She's yeah, exactly. But um, she deserves some coverage for sure. So anyway, um, and news about another queen, Her Majesty Hillary. Um, <laughs> I just thought this was amusing. Uh, she posted on Twitter um, when a couple days ago. It says, I can't believe we're still talking about this, but my emails, dot, dot, dot. As Trump's problems continue to mount, the right is trying to make this about me again. There's even a, quote, Clinton standard end quote. The fact is I had zero emails that were classified. And then she goes on to say, Comey admitted he was wrong after he claimed I had classified emails. Trump's own State Department under two different secretaries found I had no classified emails. That's right. Zero. By contrast, Trump has hundreds of documents clearly marked as classified and the investigation just started. I'm more tired of talking about this than anyone, but here we are. If you're interested in the facts, you can read more here. And then there's uh, an article. Her Twitter profile says Hillary Clinton. She's got the little blue check mark. And then her description or whatever is 2016 Democratic nominee, sex state, senator, hair icon, mom, <laughs> wife, grandma times three, et cetera. The, the hair icon, I just was like, blah. <laughs> She's got the best sense of humor. Uh, she, is, she is hilarious and it I'm just deep. further proves that humor comes out of pain <laughs> because right she's funny 
Well, and I feel like she, um, I, I watched her interview. She was on The View. As a rule, I don't watch The View because people yeah, shouting over one another gives me an anxiety attack. Used to be okay. However, I did watch The View today, and um, you know, Joy asked her because she's a lawyer. Killer's a lawyer. Um, did you? Do you think that Trump is going to be indicted? And. If, you know, tables turned, the former guy would be like, she's, lock her up, blah, blah, go to jail. You know, buzzwords, buzzwords, Benghazi, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but she's basically just like, you know what? She's like, I don't know. We're just going to have to see what the evidence shows. Um, you know, I ho- she's like, I was, I was not very happy that they granted him, you know. And she was, like, so gracious yeah. about the whole thing. Basically, she's just like, I don't know. It's not for me to say. She's and wise to not From a legal standpoint, here's what I know, this, this, and this here's what we need to find out this, this, and this. And, you know, she just completely, you know, object, not, she wasn't really objective, but just, she just stick to facts. You know, she wasn't a personal attack. Imagine that. <laughs> How she's, that? Uh, she's smart to not take any bets on that because logic is generally not the winner of any of these arguments. Yes. Today is Bernie's birthday. So happy birthday, Bernie Sanders. Happy birthday, Bernie. I don't know how old he is. He's pretty old, but he's fucking mm. awesome. <laughs> I love just how fucking fearless he is. Like, they'll throw shit at him, and he, without without it really even hesitating, he just has an answer, and it's usually really spicy. I fucking love him. So, <laughs> <laughs> and in other news in the UK, um, as you may have heard, the new British prime minister has been appointed, voted, elected, um, I forgot her name, Truss, Liz, Liz Truss. Um, and I guess today she named her cabinet, maybe it was yesterday. Um, and there's some people going, it's the most diverse cabinet ever because there's like zero old white guys in this group. Weird. Um, right. So it's the most diverse cabinet ever. However, she did run on the conservative party and she is very conservative and this is almost so like conniving. It pisses me off. It doesn't almost piss me off. It pretty much pisses me off. Let me (laughs) pull up this article. So the fact that it's very diverse is just sort of hiding the fact that it's has other things going on. So this is a quote from what? Oh, the New York Times article. Um, Ms. Truss has acknowledged that her most notable tax cut proposal, a reversal of last April's increase in national insurance rates, would disproportionately benefit those with higher incomes since they pay the most taxes. Quote, to look at everything through the lens of redistribution, I believe, is wrong, Ms. Truss said. I'm just doing that so that we can differentiate article from her speaking, also because I like doing it. Um, Make said to the time. BBC <laughs> last Sunday in what some noted was a full-throated defense of, quote, trickle-down economics. Mm-hmm. What I'm about is growing the economy, and growing the economy benefits everybody. Professor Andrews from Birmingham City University said the conservatives were practicing a particularly cynical form of identity politics by promoting the diversity among its senior leaders while also advancing retrograde policies. That's like the greatest description of what's happening 
in general. Um, then some dude, I don't know who this guy is, Mr. Katwala, argued that diversity at the top of politics doesn't do anything automatically, but can shift attitudes by providing role models and make a difference in what your expectations are at a societal level, citing the fact that um, Ms. Truss grew up watching Margaret Thatcher. So, you know, representation matters and that whole ar argument. So, yeah, sure, representation matters. But what the fuck good is it if the people representing you are passing laws that don't benefit or help you when they're just basically a bunch of Republicans over there? To give you guys some hope, uh, I got to pull something up really quick. I was listening to a brilliant astrologer the other day, and I guess I better drop his name since I'm going to talk about how amazing he is. Um, hold on. This is off the cuff. I wasn't planning on this. His name, Gaul Sasson, or Sasson. He is... Um, either Turkish or Israeli. Um, you can hear me feverishly typing. So currently Saturn is in Aquarius, right? Yeah. And when Pluto moves into Aquarius, um, it will be joining Saturn. So when, when Pluto and Saturn and, oh God, everybody else were in Capricorn, all of the conservative stuff just kind of came to life. And we've seen this huge surge of conservative politics. So Gaul said that when Pluto moves into Aquarius, joining Saturn um, and some other stuff happens, that the Aquarian energy will cause a shift toward the left because Capricorn is all about conservative tradition. It's good old boy. Aquarius is um, about the future. It's about the people. It's about being humanitarian. So very, very different vibes. And so just as a ray of hope, I offer that astrological tidbit because I will be hanging on to that hope for a while. Um, yes. So well, and I, but I'd do. also like to offer that. Okay, maybe, maybe I don't know a lot about mistrust or how what's happening over there. What you just mentioned does, yes, sound traditionally conservative as far as trickle down and bullshit. But what's happening here? Like these people are not conservatives. They're nuts. Oh, they are They're absolutely zealous. I agree. <laughs> I agree. So I don't really, I hope that whatever is going to help, what astrologically what's going to help uh, shift left also help shift uh, less crazy. Yeah. That's my hope. And it, But it's interesting because what we're seeing in America is happening in so many other countries. Like Putin is, as an example, um, you know, he and Trump were BFFs and just mm -hmm. thought each other were just the fucking ray of sunshine of the world. So um, I, I just... I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. So Pluto moves into Aquarius in March of next year, 2023. Um, okay. That's the United States is having a Pluto return. It's a whole other show, but um, that's why there's so much turmoil and um, change and um, instability right now in the United States. I mean, from an astrological perspective, of course. Um, so 
it'll be there for quite a while. And uh, let's see. I'm I was trying to see when it was going to pop out of there, but I don't know off the top of my head. Oh, well, Pluto will be there for oh, uh, 10 years. Yeah. If I'm reading this right. So anyway, yeah, we have we have some changes potentially coming down the pike. We can only hope. It might not be in this next election, though. I really, really hope that it is. God help us. But um, anyway, I didn't want to go off in the weeds about astrology, but that happens. Um, speaking of, yeah, speaking of fucked up uh, conservative bullshit, there is some serious bullshit happening in Alabama. Mm. Um, so, oh my God, <laughs> fuck you, Alabama. Um, so there was a story today that I grabbed off of Instagram. An Alabama county is detaining women in jail without a criminal conviction for weeks or months based on the idea that they're pregnant and their fetus should be protected. One of the commenters, shout out to Haley because she did the homework for me. Actually, her handle is Haley, um, said, <laughs> Googled it. Here's the headline. Pregnant women held for months in one Alabama jail to protect fetuses from drugs. Police arrested Ashley Banks on May 25th with a small amount of marijuana and a pistol without a permit to carry. Under normal circumstances, the 23-year-old from Gadsden would be would have been able to post bond and leave her and leave jail until her criminal trial. But Banks admitted to smoking pot on the same day she found out she was pregnant. On the same day she yeah, two days before her arrest. So she was oh my god, in Etowah County. That meant she couldn't leave jail unless she entered a drug rehab, leaving her in limbo for three months. She's not the the only one, according to attorneys involved in her case. Several pregnant women and new moms accused of exposing their fetuses to drugs have been held for weeks or months inside the Etowah County Detention Center under special bond conditions that require rehab and $10,000 cash. Attorneys with National Advocates for Pregnant Women, an organization that opposes laws that criminalize pregnancy, said it's unfair to impose special conditions on pregnant women who haven't been convicted of any crimes. Hello. Um, As a result of the policy, the Etowah County Detention Center often holds several pregnant and postpartum women in the jail against the advice of experts on maternal and fetal health. Dr. Carolyn Sufrin, an OBGYN and expert on incarceration and pregnancy at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, wrote an affidavit urging the court to release banks. This is so you mean pregnant people, it's not good for them to be in jail? Is that what we're hearing right now? Yeah. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Um, We had to to consult an expert on that. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I need to like color in all the the stuff here for y'all, but this, because there's going to be people who are like, yeah, but they're endangering the fetus. But the problem with all of these laws is that they protect the fetus over the woman carrying it. We don't give a shit about the pregnant people. Some of them are already dying because of diseases. They couldn't get, it's, you you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. We are giving more rights to the fetus than to the mother, the pregnant person. And that's I mean, that some part, fucked up shit. That is fucked up. But the part that is extra fucked up is that once the baby's born, right? good luck to that baby. 
You need well, you need WIC. You need food stamps. You need uh, day, you need daycare while your mom works. Yeah, good yeah. luck with that. That's your problem. Yeah, these the right is not pro life. They're pro controlling women. Yeah, um, pro forced birth basically. Yes, it it's just like I, I wish that life didn't imitate art. Isn't art supposed to imitate life? Um, <laughs> I've had enough (laughs) of the foreshadowing that's coming through my television. Like, I don't want that anymore. Um, It's it's just too much. I, my blood pressure cannot. Okay, so in a complete shift, a needed one, um, today's main topic is them funny ladies. I mean, bitches, them funny bitches. Specifically, we wanted to talk about Lucille Ball because uh, Smarty Pants over there pointed out something about her last week, and um, I just felt like we were due for some comedy. Uh, so we had we wanted to touch base on some other female comedians that <sighs> broke boundaries and kind of paved the way in a lot of different ways. So we have a list of, it's not a complete list by any stretch. This is just a list of um, female comedians who have helped change the face of comedy. Um, Yeah, she is on here. I wanted to check to see if that one was on there. So you wanna just take turns and we'll go through this list? Yeah. I'll let you start. Okay. So Fanny Bryce, those of you who like musicals know that Funny Lady and Funny Girl were written about Fanny. I'm not talking to you, Kelly. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to not say anything. Barbara starred as Fanny. Anyway, um, she was America's first female comedy superstar. She paved the way for funny girls of every generation. She was so prolific, they created a Broadway projection. Um, and after starting her career as a burlesque dancer, Bryce was discovered by producer Flo Ziegfeld Jr. and was skyrocketed into flame, into fame <laughs> as a comedic actress on the stage, in film, and later in her own radio comedy series called The Baby Snooks Show. Mm. Mm. Um, this one specifically I wanted to cover today. Moms Mabley was one of the first female comedians, but also definitely the first black female comedian who broke down all kinds of barriers. She was born in 1894, died in 1975. She's credited as the first female stand-up comedian, um, and she was quite a pioneer. She was born Loretta Mary Eichen. Um, Mabley adopted the dirty old woman character to give herself more freedom on stage. The persona allowed her to explore topics that might be deemed inappropriate for a female comedian at the time, like racism and sexual innuendo. She's queer also. She was an out, out lesbian, which was quite No way, weird. really? Yeah. To be yeah. out in the 50s and 60s. Seriously. Yeah. My, and black. Hello. And black, yep. Wow. She broke down a lot of doors, for sure. Amazing. All right, so I'm assuming we're skipping the next one because we're going to do yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, one of my favorites, uh, Phyllis Diller. She was discovered as a contestant on Groucho Marx's game show, and no one knew that Phyllis Diller would become one of the most prolific comedic performers of our time, her time. Recognized for her overdone makeup, costumes, and outrageous cackle, 
Diller played the character of a hapless housewife. She was re- relentlessly self-deprecating and undeniably old school, but was the only female stand-up of her age to rise to stardom in the 50s and 60s. I became the genre, she said in later years. Yeah, we'll definitely do a show specifically on Phyllis Diller at some point because she was very interesting. <laughs> Um, she, I mean, the, the comedians that came later, like Joan Rivers, are always sort of, you know, making fun of themselves and whatever. I mean, she sure. was really the first to sort of. Her um, personal life, like most people, everybody has a pretty interesting personal life. We all have hard lives at some point or another. But um, if I'm recalling correctly, Phyllis Diller did have a, a difficult slash interesting life. Um, the next one is Mitzi Shore, born in 1930. While Mitzi Shore wasn't a performer herself, she helped define comedy as much as any comedian in her day, founder and owner of the famed Los Angeles comedy store. Shore shaped the careers of many now famous comedians, including Robin Williams, Mark Maron, Chevy Chase, David Letterman, Jay Leno, and many more. Those are all dudes. Shore was also (laughs) one of the most progressive bookers in the business, bookers in the business. As early as 1978, she dedicated a whole floor of her club to booking just female comedians. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Um, Miss Joan Rivers started her career in the late 50s when the idea of a brazen female comic was unheard of and blew up and blew the stand up world wide open. She spoke candidly and critically about anything and everything, gender norms, her sex life, politics, her body. And she did it with style. It didn't take long before she was a regular on late night TV and even hosted her own program, the late show starring Joan Rivers for a short time. Rivers was feminine and smart and fearless and funny, and she gave other women permission to be so as well. I've heard a lot of other stars, like Burt Reynolds is one that comes to mind who they don't like her. They're like, she's insulting or whatever, but mm-hmm. she's so far, she made fun of herself and she's so much less insulting than like Don, R- Don Rickles. Oh God. Yeah. But I guess, cause she's a woman, like, you know, she, well, I grew up with a very old school dad who was born in 1937. And mm-hmm. since he's died, I've realized some things that you just don't have these awakenings usually until they're gone. Um, <laughs> but I grew up hearing my dad talk about a lot of things that I don't agree with anymore, but number one about just women in comedy, how they weren't funny and they're just not funny. I don't know why they think they're funny. And I think most men of that generation and like even the Burt Reynolds generation um, kind of held that point of view for a long time. So fuck Mm -hmm. them. Not my dad. So fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I heard that um, John Belushi, I guess, was very, I don't know, misogynistic in that way. Like he didn't he didn't mm. agree with any um, he didn't want any female writers on Saturday Night Live. Oh, so whenever they'd be at the table read, whenever he'd get to something that a female um, writer, he knew that, that the female wrote it. He just read it in just like a very strict, like like mumbly montone. Oh, what a dick! Just not even give it any kind of credence or whatever. Just I don't know, but yeah. so I mean, kudos to these ladies who you know broke through all that even earlier than yeah. that time. Because even I guess in the seventies during SNL, there's that was still a thing. So oh yeah, for sure. I'm sure um, Gilda Radner had some haters even. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll probably do another show or two on some of these big names, either uh, by themselves or in combination. 
because they're awesome. I comedy is something that's very near and dear to me. I feel like stand up stand up comedians, I think, are the group therapy that like for society. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the group therapy session we go sit in on. Um, this next one is one of my favorites. I grew up watching Carol Burnett. 1933. I don't know when this article was written, but didn't Carol, is she still alive? I think so. She's older, but yeah, I think she's still alive. Okay. Sorry, Carol. Um, Let me look it up while you're doing your thing. Okay, please do. Uh, Before Carol Burnett took television by storm with the Carol Burnett show, CBS tried to talk her out of it. You know, Carol, variety is a man's game, they told her. Them. A few <laughs> years later, her variety show was the ratings darling of the network, and Burnett was well on her way to being a comedy icon. Always the biggest character in the room, Burnett was unflinchingly funny, whether that meant belting out a silly ballad or hurling herself across the stage. <laughs> uh, yeah, we love that. Used to be on reruns like after the news. Mm-hmm. So me and my cousins used to watch it, and then we'd have like one thing that she said on there just to incessantly say like throughout the yeah. week, driving everybody yeah. crazy. I'm sure. Um, but yes, she Carol is still alive, by the way. She is 89. I'm so sorry, Carol. My bad. Mea culpa. Forgive me. I love you. And what's just that, as an aside, if, the... you, if anybody likes reading, you know, uh, entertainment bio, bios, hers was a good one. Mm-hmm. She's uh, amazing. Okay, yeah. next. Uh, Marilyn Suzanne Miller, Annie Bates, B-A- or Betts, maybe, B-E-A-T-T-S, and Rosie Schuster. While you may not recognize any of these women by name, you certainly know their work. Marilyn, Suzanne Miller, Annie Betts, and Rosie Schuster were the only three female writers on the first season of SNL. Oh, wow. Saturday Night Live. Like all the writers of that time, Miller, Betts, and Schuster helped shape the late night fixture into what it would become. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Gilda Radner. I think that might be who Never I was thinking mind. of. Yeah. <laughs> Born 1946, <laughs> died in 1989. Gilda wasn't the only female cast member on the first season of SNL. She was the most prolific. Radner created iconic characters like life coach Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, and Barbara Walters' par- parody called Bob Wawawa. <laughs> Our generation grew up watching her, so we know those skits, but um, <laughs> it's sad that my kids won't know what that, any of that's about. Um, and hearing impaired weekend update guest, Emily Latella. I don't remember that one. She was first was up on. Huh? She's the one who said, never mind. Oh, okay. Like she'd always she... like say something. They're like, no, no, it's this. Oh. Like, and then she'd be like, oh, never mind. I can, I remember now. Okay. She was the first in a long line of female SNL comedy stars to steal the show, including Oh, a, a list of women I adore. Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, and so many more. I love me some Kate McKinnon. <laughs> I worship at the altar of comedy of Kate McKinnon. <sighs> and also Tina Fey. She's fucking amazing. And Amy Poehler and Kristen Wiig are all amazing. Anyway. Mm. Once whenever, when Gilda was on uh, David Letterman, she said that Emily Latella was actually fashion, or she did the character after her grandma. <laughs> so Dave Dave called her grandma. Oh gosh. And I've looked for the I've looked on YouTube a million times. I'll look again just to see if anybody's posted on there. I lo- I've looked for this clip a million times. Funny. But you know, she's they're like, um, Gilda and you know, she it's obvious that grandma Ollie is understanding about half of what's going on. Right. And then she's like, you know, it's Gilda, Gilda, you know, how are you, dear? And she says, you know, she's she said she's somewhere and the grandma totally misunderstood. 
And she said, no, no, I'm on David Letterman. And she actually said, oh, never mind. <laughs> it was awesome. so, and like everybody, including Gilda, like didn't recover for like five minutes. It was, That's it was amazing. But anyway, I will look for that clip again and I will see yeah. if I can find it. But so far I have not. Okay. One of my favorites is Whoopi Goldberg. Um, she is an iconic actress, a groundbreaking comedian, and sorry, my phone's ringing here for no reason. Um, a groundbreaking comedian and a longtime talk show host, Whoopi Goldberg can do and has done it all. In the 70s, she won an award for her portrayal of the first African-American stand-up comic, Moms Mabley. In the, in the 80s, she won a Grammy for the best comedy album based on her popular one-woman show, The Spook Show. And in the 90s, she became the second black woman to win an Oscar. Talented in almost every way, Goldberg tackled and continues to tackle the issues of race and class in ways that are both deeply biting and perfectly funny. Uh, another one of my heroes. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. We all know who she is. Um, now we know her best from her award-winning talk show, which has since been retired. But DeGeneres has had an enviable comedy career long before the show started in 2003. In fact, in 1997, she made history when both she and the character she played on the sitcom Ellen came out as gay, which was a big deal even in 1997. That floors me. Um, but it was very much scandalous. Um, before that, DeGeneres was hitting it big as a stand-up comedian with her own style of clean, understated comedy. She has the distinction of being the first woman invited to the couch on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, which is saying something. Absolutely. He was a good old boy, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This next, next lady I really admire a lot. I think she's hilarious. We got to know her a lot more, or at least I did, during the former guy's administration. Mm -hmm. um, but Samantha B. She isn't the first woman to host a late night show, but she's the only one out there today, which actually she just got canceled, which is unfortunate. Um, after capturing our minds and hearts as the most senior correspondent on The Daily Show, B is finally getting her own spotlight on Full Frontal with Samantha B. And she is and was crushing it. While we certainly felt the loss of Jon Stewart this election season, B has been, has been ample replacement for the poly comedy legend. Uh, another one I love. Mindy Cowling, um, born in 1979. Amazing. Beautiful. Follow her on Instagram. She's so humble and gorgeous. And oh my God. <laughs> I don't know when this was written, but she's older than 36. I think. Let me see if there's a date at the top of this because it's bugging me. There is not. So never mind. Um, this is at least a few years old because they're talking about the last election. So um, Mindy Cowling has already done it all at 24 straight out of college at Dartmouth Dartmouth sorry Dartmouth <laughs> Colling became the only woman on the writing staff of the office at 32 she became the first Indian American actress to star in her own show the Emmy nominated the Mindy Project she's written three books she's provided the voice for two beloved animated characters and she's a shining example for writers and actresses who stepped up to create the character they wanted to play She's just an all-around great role model, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Is that 15? That didn't seem like 15. All well, right. it was 14. But we, add, we added in one more. Because we, thought that, we thought that list was oh, yeah, yeah. not complete without this. Well, we took one out, and we added one back. It's fine. Yes. Uh, Madeline Kahn. Yeah. I can't believe they left her out. I know. She was hilarious. She actually could. She had the range, I guess, to be an opera singer. 
but she just didn't have the powerful she was so such a small person i feel like she just couldn't project you know big enough out into an opera house yeah um but yeah she had kind of a you know sad upbringing too she her mom was not the most stable person yeah and she kind of pushed her into doing shows and you know doing things when she was young to just basically live off of her really mm-hmm. um but yeah i like madeline she's funny she is um she's zany but not in a dumb way you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i love her as mrs white and clue <laughs> yeah my favorite she's funny in everything um and she also, um, well, she was Jewish. I was trying to see if there was something said about that. But anyway, she was, she was amazing. <laughs> she was funny in everything. She was kind of a scene stealer, but she kind of snuck up on you in that way. Yeah. Right. Under, in an understated way, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. She died in 1999. Mm-hmm. I remember like back in the mid 90s a traveling show she was like in the traveling company of the sisters Rosenzweig um, with I think Michelle Lee and I can't remember who else but I really wanted to go see it and then I didn't and then she died like right after the, you know a few years after that and I just still to this day regret that I didn't yeah. take the opportunity to go see her live when I had the chance yeah um, right before she died like two months before she died she married her longtime boyfriend which shielded her actor's pension from taxes which i just think is screw the man finger yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love that um yeah speaking of astrology again i did i've done a couple shows on this where i looked at some of like the big comedy names um um eddie murphy Oh my God! Why am I drawing a blank? Um, Freaking Ace Ventura. Hello. Oh, Jim Carrey. Thank you, Jim Carrey. A bunch of the big names, and I wanted to see like what they have in common. Like, what's the funniest sign? So obviously, if you follow astrology, you know there's more to it than a sun sign. So it's not like you can just say Gemini's or the funny people of the zodiac. Although they are most often the serial killers of the zodiac. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, um. What I found, because one of my theories, I, I, I dated um, a comedian briefly, off and on. Um, we were playing cards one night and kind of musing about, like, where does he, he said, where do you think comedy comes from in a person? And I said, oh, without a doubt, it comes from pain. And he said, yeah, that's interesting that we had this, like, philosophical discussion about it. And um, so I've always felt that that's where it comes from. If you look at Jim Carrey's life, he had a really hard childhood most successful comedians had really fucked up childhoods um, and they are able to take that pain and morph it into something else. Um, so I wanted to see what they all had in common. One of the things that they had in common was a strong placement in the eighth house, which is Scorpio, which is the sign that transforms things. It's the the sign of rebirth, death and rebirth. But the other thing that they all had in common, which surprises everybody, is um, a strong Capricorn. A lot of famous comedians have a Capricorn moon, which is like the moodiest, most sullen Capricorn placement I think you can have. Capricorn (laughs) definitely, um, because it's ruled by Saturn, definitely has um, 
the tendency to cause like mopiness and depression. Mm -hmm. um, so having a Capricorn moon just kind of gives this very like serious personality. If you've ever watched Steve Martin, who's one of my personal idols from way, 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 way back, um, speak, he is the most articulate, brilliant, serious, sensitive guy. And obviously his comedy has changed since the 70s when he was just like one wild and crazy guy. But um, <laughs> he he's so different. His comedy persona is so different from his real life persona. And he is kind of serious. Um, anyway, just a little. He, have you ever, I feel like his, he's a great storyteller too. Have you well, ever read his play best. or seen the play produced? Yes. yes. Paso. He's amazing. Yeah. I love that story. I mean, it's just such a, it's funny and it's like goofy in a way, but it's serious too. I love yeah. that. Well, just as a, an example. I mean, I'm pretty sure he wrote LA Story, right? The I movie. Think so, yeah. Yeah. That's such a great example of his storytelling abilities. Um he's a master storyteller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I love him. Um I have I still have an 8 track um from his live comedy show in 1970. Like I wasn't even born yet. Um <laughs> It's an eight track. I have it in my office. Um, I had that. It's clean because you had to be back then, um, at least on recordings. I had it memorized from beginning to end, every single bit of that eight track tape. So, and I still do in a lot of ways. Um, when I was like, I don't know, nine years old, like not an appropriate age to be memorizing. Um, Steve Martin probably but <laughs> Billy Crystal was even a more off color and I memorized him too but anyway um, yeah so I just looked up his astrology he has a Scorpio moon and a Leo sun and where is his chart one of my cats is fucking with me <laughs> anyway so yeah Daisy, can you get a job? Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about Lucy. Yay. We love Lucy. Mm -hmm. We have some lesser known facts about Lucy. And then we have an article that fills in a little more detail on some of the stories. So um, do you want to do details or story because I feel like one of us can be sort of watching for details um I'll do I'll do story I guess yeah okay that's cool <laughs> okay yeah um so the first one is you I can tell know, we're so kind of prepared. <laughs> what's that you can tell we're so prepared <laughs> story <laughs> hurts we do look at, we do talk before these things happen. And then I feel like once we get to the show, we're like, should we do this? How do you say this name? What is this person? Exactly. Yeah. We do yeah. look, I promise we do. Yeah. We Anywho. Do. Um, yeah. I thought this one was a little bit of a bummer, but Hey, a little bit. um, that Lucy and Ethel were really not BFFs in real life. Um, it's been well publicized that Vivian Vance and Fred William Frawley did not get along at all. They couldn't stand each other. Um, but she and Lucy had such great chemistry as friends that, you know, a lot of fans believe they're really close in real life, but initially they didn't get along at all. As Tom went on, they grew more supportive of one another, but they remained competitive and often feuded throughout the run of I Love Lucy at different points. 
It was kind of a love-hate relationship, I guess. I do have details. Okay. Reporting, reporting live from the field with details. <laughs> Sorry, Pants Lisa. Here I am, Bitchy Pants Kelly. Um, <laughs> this article states that Lucy gave Vivian Vance a contract ordering her not to gain weight. True, but it was a gag gift. Vance, who played Ethel Mertz on a I love Lucy, of course, was 22 years younger than her TV husband, William Frawley, who she didn't like. And although she agreed to go with the plain Jane look, she refused to wear padding to make her look plump. According to Ball, Vance told producer Jess Oppenheimer, if my husband is, if my husband in this series makes fun of my weight and I'm actually fat, then the audience won't laugh. They'll feel sorry for me. But if he calls me a fat old bag and I'm not too heavy, then it'll seem funny which is very fucking smart. In 1975, Vance and Ball appeared on Dinah Shore's daytime talk show, and Vance brought with her a mock contract Lucy had drawn up some 20 years earlier. Vance read it to the studio audience. So Lucille Ball wrote this and gave it to Vivian Vance. <laughs> Party of the first part, part must promise to never dye her hair within five shades either way of the party of the second part, also known as the lovable natural redhead. Part two, party of the first part must also agree to put on an additional five pounds every month within the next year. Otherwise, this contract shall be terminated at the whim of the party of the second part by one, a phone call or the more generous option of 30 minutes notice. <laughs> and she signed it. Um, so they weren't BFFs. They weren't close in real life. But from what I read, they had, you know, a camaraderie they didn't like hang out and have drinks together but they weren't enemies either right which is i nice. think i think the industry and the good old boys or whatever hollywood makes us believe things would like us to believe that they were like at each other and they weren't they they might have started off a little bit bumpy but it didn't end up that way at all which is true of so many female friendships <laughs> mm -hmm. um Another fun, not-so-fun fact, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy and Desi divorced before I Love Lucy even aired. Plenty of I Love Lucy fans knew that Ball and Arnaz got divorced in the 60s after spending 20 years together. But many aren't aware of the fact that this was actually the second divorce for the couple. <laughs> Lucy originally filed for divorce not long after the couple married. I'm done with this. Back in 1944. That's right. The classic Hollywood couple actually split up seven years before I Love Lucy premiered. The two ultimately reconciled and stayed married until their final parting in 1960, when Ball finally got fed up with Arnaz's drinking and philandering behavior. Hit the road, Ricky! Yeah. Beat it! <laughs> I don't have any details on that one. <laughs> well, and the, I think, like, the most, uh, you know, the most important question we need to ask now is, why didn't he just let her be in the show, for God's sake? Just let her be in. So much drama. Right? Think of something she can do for five minutes. Put her in the chorus. She didn't care. Put her in. Anyway. She would have messed it up, though, because that's what her character <laughs> did. It was great. I get, yeah. Um, okay. So Lucy was 40 at the start of I Love Lucy. Lucy was a groundbreaking star for many reasons, not the least of which it was her age. I Love Lucy began when Ball was 40 years old, an age at which actresses were often considered to be too old, even today. Her husband and on-screen love interest, Arnez, was 34 at the time, when it was considered taboo for an older woman to be paired with a younger man. Well, screw that. I wouldn't have thought she was 40 seeing that show. No, she, I know. She looked like 30s to me, like early 30s even. 
Yeah. Ma was also was also famously pregnant on the show, which was considered somewhat shocking at the time. The episode where her character yeah. gives birth to little Ricky wound up being the highest rated episode of the series. She had two children during the show's run, daughter Lucy Arnaz and son Desi Arnaz Jr. I do have some reporting live from the field with details on this tidbit. <laughs> I don't know if if their interracial coupleness is um, one of the facts that you're hit on here, but I wanted to throw that in before we passed it by. Um, they were the TV's first interracial couple. If Lucy had not been persistent about wanting her real life husband, Desi Arnaz, to be her TV hubby on I Love Lucy, it would not have happened. Before I Love Lucy, CBS was so impressed by her comedic performance on her radio program, My Favorite Husband, that they wanted to adapt it for television. So this is interesting. She brought him in. He didn't bring her in. Lucy agreed under one condition. Desi would play the role of her husband. CBS wasn't thrilled with the idea, believing that no one could tune in to watch an all-American redheaded woman with a Cuban, especially a Cuban with a thick accent, especially during a time when Cuba was kind of a bad word. Um, but Lucy wouldn't budge. To prove her point that America would love them as husband-wife team, Lucy and Desi toured the country in a sort of vaudeville act. Her fans couldn't get enough. And then, yeah, saying the word pregnant was very, it was a faux pas in society in that era. You had to say, in the family way. I don't, did they even say with child, but I know they said, in the family way. She's in, she's in the family way. So Lucy became the first woman to, I lost my place, be pregnant on TV. Where did this bullet point go? <laughs> Sorry. Shit. I lost it. <laughs> oh, crap. All right. There is, okay, here, I'll go to that one here. I'll move down. Hang on. Da, da, da. Lucy was the first openly pregnant woman on TV. She was the yep. first actress to have her pregnancy shown on television. During the episode when Lucy tells Ricky that she's pregnant, the expecting couple actually teared up during the scene's first take. Mm -hmm. And that's the scene that wound up on TV. When Ball gave birth to Desi on January 19th, 1953, the episode in which her character gives birth to little Ricky was shown on the same night. The New York Times referred to the episode as a national event. It had a record-setting 44 million people tune in, with a million delighted fans sending congratulatory notes and gifts. And I'm going, going back to their names. So, um, let's see. Okay, so her daughter's name is actually, it's not Lucille, it's Lucy, L-U-C-I-E, mm -hmm. Desiree Arnaz. And so if you look at the name, you're like, okay, well, she's Lucy and Desi, right? Well, right. Lucille's actual middle name is Desiree. So she's ah. and um, named after her mother and her father. However, Ball's middle name is Desiree, named after and because Lucy's mother, Lucille's mother, was named right. Desiree. So she's right. named after her mom and her grandma too, both. Um, That's how my kids are named. Aw. And let's see, the son is Desiderio Alberto Arnez after mm. his father. Little Ricky. He's he's. Uh. Desider, he's Desiderio Arbelta Arnez the Fourth. Ooh. Despite her years of success in comedy as a status and comic icon, Ball insisted that her children were her greatest achievements. Beep, 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 beep. I have a live <laughs> report from the field, Lisa. Um, <laughs> 
so I think you just said Desi Jr. and little Ricky were delivered in real life only 12 hours apart. So she had the baby on the show and then 12 hours later she had the baby in real life. <laughs> um, so literally on that day, Lucille Ball delivered Desi Jr. just 12 hours before Lucy Ricardo delivered. Oh, before, slightly before. Real life came before TV. Uh, slightly before Lucy Ricardo delivered Little Ricky on I Love Lucy. It was all very brilliantly planned that way. Oh, well, I didn't know that. With Ball being scheduled for a cesarean delivery to Desi Jr. to coincide with Little Ricky's birth on TV. Well, damn, that's a publicity stunt if I ever heard one. <laughs> um, it paid off, as you said, 44 million viewers. And President Dwight D. Eisenhower took office. Let's see. Um, oh, I skipped a sentence. 44 million people. Um, equivalent to 72% of American households. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, and to put that into additional perspective, the following day, President Dwight D. Eisenhower took the oath of office and only 29 million tuned in for that because <laughs> like, they loved Lucy. Nobody loved Dwight. Well, <laughs> not as many people love Dwight. Some people did. Yeah, not as much as they love Lucy, apparently. Um, Back to you. <laughs> Lucy and Desi frequently cracked each other up while filming. They were professionals, so you could usually keep up. They could keep from breaking character while laughing during filming scenes, which were particularly funny. However, they weren't completely immune to cracking up, which you can absolutely see while watching certain episodes. This was actually I love. I don't know if this is in here later. I'll cut it out if it is. But um, this is the first show that was actually filmed, mm -hmm. so that they could make reruns later. Oh, wow. Everything, like, all the other ones were just, like, the radio shows where it was just live. So if you screwed up, you screwed up. But they actually, this is the actual show that they they filmed because they wanted to be able to, um, Lucy was just a really smart businesswoman. And she's yeah, like, she was. So we can show the shows later. Yeah, she was. Like, I want a day off. We can have, <laughs> we can, you can watch an old show on one day. Very smart. Mm -hmm. Yes. Sometimes you can hear Arnez's very distinctive laughter in scenes he's not even in. That's because he would frequently stand off camera to watch filming, and Ball's antics would hit him so hard that he couldn't help he couldn't keep it in. Watch a few classic classic yeah. episodes and listen closely, and you'll probably be able to hear him. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> um, this is about the A-list movie, I, which I did not see, even though I like Kate Blanchett. Uh, Lucy and Desi. Desi's children made this film about their famous parents with a screenplay that's being written by Aaron Sorkin. Actually, Kate Blanchett wasn't in it, right? Kate Blanchett signed on to play ball, but didn't they? But then didn't Nicole Kidman play her? Nicole Kidman. There's two different movies, but I don't. Oh, two different ones. Okay. There is two different ones, so I don't know if Kate Blanchett. Hold on, I'll report live from the field. Keep talking. <laughs> okay. According to Ball's daughter, Lucy, the movie titled Lucy and Desi is going to focus on her parents' unusual love story. It was a complex relationship that lasted longer than their actual marriage, with the two frequently disagreeing on how involved they should be in show business. Um, but I Love Lucy was always a um, top three show the whole time it was on. It was iconic and beloved nearly 70 years after its debut, so it might not be too surprising to learn that it was an instant hit. But that's actually unusual. Many other mega-hit TV shows took time to become successful. For example, Cheers ranked among the worst shows for some weeks during its first season. Uh, I Love Lucy never had that problem. Her sitcom never ranked below third place during its entire six-year run. It was the number one show in the U.S. within six months of its October debut, October 15, 1951, at a time when there were only about 15 million television sets owned in the country. Around 11 million of them were tuned in to I Love Lucy. 
still gathering information here in the field. There, <laughs> the two movies right. are Being the Ricardos, and that one was Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem. Right. Um, I have to look up the Lucy and Desi one. One of them is kind of dark. Um, it's very enlightening, though, because it does really. I I feel like a, I was not born during that time, so maybe I don't know. But it did. It portrayed a lot of the problems that they had politically with him being from Cuba and what it was doing to her and blackballing and the Hollywood, all that stuff. They got into all of that, which I didn't know anything about. Um, she saved his ass. And um, then it talks about his philandering and drinking. And I didn't know any of that either. So hmm. um, I think the other one is more of a documentary. Okay. So back to you. So, okay. Lucy <laughs> was a high school dropout. The intelligent actress who propelled herself to stardom by co-creating I Love Lucy and co-founding Desilu Productions never finished her formal education in a traditional way. Like other big stars who would come after her, such as John Travolta, Kate Winslet, Katy Perry, and Olivia Newton-John, Lucille Ball dropped out of high school. She moved to New York City at the tender age of 15, where she attended drama school. Things weren't always easy, and she struggled a lot in her early days in show business, receiving numerous rejections before she finally started landing roles. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I've just heard Ginger Rogers' mother, Layla groomed lucy for stardom i don't know what voice that was um <laughs> during the 1930s and early 40s ginger rogers mother leela was known in hollywood as quite a stage mom oh my favorite people molding her daughter into a star with controlling demanding fist on the th fist on the throat of the studios while ginger was a contract player at rko leela ran an acting school on the lot and one of her students was lucille ball uh, Leela advised us to work on ourselves and pay no attention to those corporate machinations. Leela wouldn't tolerate anyone taking advantage of her charges, Lucy said, of Leela's protective nature. And Leela also saw something in Lucy that the studios didn't yet. She told me years later, I noticed the twinkle in your eyes and the mobile face, <laughs> interesting way of putting it, which is a must for comedy. In other words, comedians don't Botox your fucking face. I also sensed depth and a great capacity for love. Leela was the first person to see me as a clown with glamour. She pulled my frizzy hair back off my brow and had a couple of my teeth, side teeth straightened. Then she sent me to a voice teacher and told me to lower my high squeaky voice by four tones. And beep, 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 beep. This sort of goes with what we're talking about now, too. Okay. Um, Carol Lombard came to Lucy in a dream and encouraged her to do I Love Lucy. Uh, a message beyond the grave, <laughs> the queen of screwball comedies, Carol Lombard, um, encouraged Lucy in a dream to, what does it say here? Um, Lucy was kind of weighing the decision and Lombard appeared to me in a dream. She was wearing one of those slinky bias cut gowns of the 30s, waving a long black cigarette holder in her hand. Go on, kid, she advised me eagerly. Give it a whirl. <laughs> I fucking love it. Can't make this shit up. Back to you in the studio. <laughs> uh, and this one is kind of sad, but it's a, a subject that you feel is important to talk about. I agree with you. Um, but Lucy wasn't sure she could have children uh, because many celebrities have spoken openly about the pain of suffering multiple miscarriages in recent years. However, back then... 
When Lucy was at the height of her fame, this was not a subject that was openly discussed. Sadly, Ball had multiple miscarriages and was essentially forced to keep it to herself. According to People Magazine, Ball may have experienced as many as three miscarriages early in her marriage to Desi Arnaz before the couple had their two children. That was understandably very difficult uh, for Lucy, and I'm sure Desi as well, who, according to close friends, was feeling pressured to have children because she believed it would keep her marriage together. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't even say pregnant. You had to say in the family way or with child or whatever the fuck you had to say. There's no way you're going to talk about losing a pregnancy. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so this is one we've already talked about, where the producers of I Love Lucy wanted her husband to be white. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I have a husband, and unfortunately, he's not white, so there we go. Um, I guess she had a a radio program before, um, and it was about, she was a wife of a banker, and, um, she helped, she was offered to, um, help develop this radio show into a television series, but she wanted her real-life husband, um, Desi to portray her on-screen husband. The problem, as the studio executive saw it, was that Desi was Cuban, who spoke imperfect English with a strong accent, and he wasn't like anyone else on TV at the time. And the studio worried that audiences would have a hard time embracing a show about a white woman married to a Cuban man. But she wouldn't budge, and eventually the producers agreed. And Desi then started the conga in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um... So the the song Congo by Miami Sound Machine from the 80s. I don't know why I'm going to try to say it. I can barely speak regular words. <laughs> I, I like Gloria Stefan. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the song celebrates the fun Cuban carnival dance move that came to popularity in the mid 20th century. According to Los Angeles Times, it was Desi Arnaz who first made the conga line popular in the United States. Mm-hmm. The novelty dance line involves a line of people holding on to one another and shaking around the dance floor, snaking around the dance floor. If you've ever been to a wedding reception, you've done the flipping conga. Oh, man. All right. Um, okay. And then after I Love Lucy... Um, oh, I, we should do this one first. Lucy met Desi on a movie set. Although Lucy and Desi are an iconic television duo, they actually met on a movie set. Decades before, it was acceptable to bounce between TV and films as part of one's career. It was seen as a failure to start in movies and then go to TV. Lucy and Desi were fearless in their transition to television after experiencing modest success in film. They met on the set of Too Many Girls. The movie premiered in 1940, 11 years before I Love Lucy first aired on TV. Lucille had a big role in, in the comedy as Connie Casey, a young girl who didn't realize that her father was has hired bodyguards to look after her in college. Nothing from the field. <laughs> um, okay. And Lucy had three shows after I Love Lucy. <coughs> Excuse me. Um... They were I Love Lucy, The Lucy Show, and Here's Lucy. Life with Lucy premiered the year Desi died and was the only show with her name in the title. This was not a success. In fact, it tanked so badly that it often considered among the worst television shows ever made. It starred Lucy as a widowed grandmother and child star had future musician Jenny Lewis as her granddaughter. Did not watch that. Um, so one of the things that got us interested in this was that we talked about how if they're without Lucy, there would be no Star Trek. If there's any Trekkies out there. Um, she actually had a hand in, you know, as you know, she 
was the head of Desilu Productions, mm-hmm. and they uh, founded the, these, the production company in 1962. It became the most successful independent television production studio in the world, and they eventually sold it and become the, and it became Paramount. Um, but some of the shows that they actually funded and actually brought to the screen were um, Star Trek or The Untouchable, and The Untouchables were two of the most popular ones. Huh. But yeah, I did not know that uh, you know she had anything to do with that until I saw a meme talking okay. about Mary Shelley and yeah. and um, Lucy being uh, instrumental in how in you know I guess modern science fiction I guess or in science fiction in general. Hmm. Um, you can skip over the points that aren't super interesting to you because there's a lot <laughs> here, and I still have some there's to go one. over too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, there's one what? here that he was shorter than her, but he was also like, uh, I forget how much younger than her. I'm trying to find it, but he was quite a bit younger than her. And that was like, not okay at that time, along with every fucking thing else. So, um, <laughs> When they got their marriage license, I think she was 29 and he was 23, so six years. Mm. But still, it was like a kind of a clutch your pearls situation. So uh, they they lied on their marriage license and said they were both 26. Mm -hmm. I don't think. Well, and this the one that kind of struck me weird is is this is that Lucy didn't she never thought that she was funny. Yeah, that one's crazy to me. Yeah, according to Los Angeles Times, Ball didn't even think she was particularly funny. Instead, she pointed out that the writers and directors on the show were the ones responsible for creating all the show's jokes. She didn't give herself credit, I guess, for the timing. But the hilarious redhead did, however, can see that she was brave. Bravery is what propelled Ball from a long career in supporting parts and movies to starting her own television series back when being an actress in your 40s was way past your prime. And such a move was considered career suicide. She was um, the first woman to own a production studio, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, she made over 50 films. I don't, I, the only film that I can think of that I've seen Lucy in, which you probably have not watched because it's a musical, yeah. is Auntie Mame. I have seen that one. Okay. That's the only one that I can think of that I saw her in. But she, she made over 50 movies. And another one that I, another fact that I think is just really sweet that we should throw out there because we love her too, is that she was besties with Betty White. I love that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll hit on some of these. I don't think we're done yet, but um, beep, 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 live from the field. As I was saying about comedians and astrology, and I didn't know this because for whatever stupid reason, I didn't cover her in that show that I did. um, (laughs) She has a Capricorn moon. She's a Leo sun. And a Capricorn moon. She also has Uranus in Capricorn, and she's a Cap rising. But that Capricorn moon, man, so many. <laughs> that's probably why she didn't think she was funny. She was just serious. But she was, I mean, I guess that's made her, you know, serious businesswoman, too. Yeah, she was definitely a good businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Let me see. Scroll here through here. I the The one about her and Betty White, I had no clue. I didn't even see that until just a few minutes ago. Where they considered each other family, I guess, support, this is according to this article. Yeah, they were. Oh, she was a big fan of Three's Company, which <laughs> cracks me up because I love that show. 
that we had. Tuesday night was was a big night, a big TV night for us at our household. Gosh, remember Freeze when it was? Heart to heart. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love those. I just, I can't believe you can remember what day of the week it was. Oh, well, Tuesday was a night that, so our family owned a restaurant growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Tuesday was the only night that it was closed. So that was the only night I was home with my grandma watching Three's Company, Heart to Heart, Happy Days, all those. Yeah, I loved all those. <laughs> Laverne and Shirley. Shlamil, Shlamazo. Um, okay, I'm going to skip over to the other list that I have here. Okay. Um, she was 40 and 42 when she had her babies, oh, wow. which was quite advanced age back in those days. Let me tell you a little story because I'm sure I've told this story before. When I had my second child, I was 35 and my doctor, (laughs) there was a a note on my chart, like a stamp and it said something geriatric mother. I forget. Oh, Lord. I, I had a great relationship with this doctor. He had been my doctor since I was 19. So I gave him a lot of shit and he gave me a lot of shit and it was just funny. Um, he was this very warm, just very nice man. Um, so I go, excuse me, what does your chart say about me? And he goes, <laughs> like he knew I was going to come after him, you know? And he's like, well, we call it advanced maternal age now. I'm like, excuse me? Did you want to schedule the hip replacement to coincide with the C-section so it's convenient for you guys? Should I be taking Geritol instead of prenatals? Like, I just let him have it. He's just laughing and laughing. And he's like, (laughs) anyway, in the 50s, to have a baby at 40 and 42, she had to have been the topic of some hot goss at the water cooler, for sure. Like, oh, my God, she's so old. Um. Let's see. Um, okay. So. That, but that is, I mean, even now, 42 is like, that's. It's, it's pushing it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she had no eyebrows. The studio <laughs> shaved off eyebrows, like as a rule, I guess, so they could paint them back on. And she told stories about how hers barely ever came back in. Um, Lucy's mother would tie her in the yard so she wouldn't run wild. <laughs> her mother came to see every taping of the show. So they were close. Okay. But um, Lucy would talk lovingly about her mother, Dee Dee. Um, uh, Lucy recalled that when she was three and her mother was pregnant with Lucy's little brother, Fred, Dee Dee would tie up the rambunctious Lucy in the yard with a dog leash so she wouldn't <laughs> run around the neighborhood. <laughs> Can you imagine today? Ball wrote in her autobiography, every time somebody would pass by on the sidewalk, I, I'd beg to be released. <laughs> she didn't bark at him. <laughs> oh, my God. Go play in the yard. Just go play in the yard. I'm tired. Um, okay, this one's interesting. Um, she was superstitious about pictures of birds. <laughs> so she was only three when her father died of typhoid fever. He was only 27. Sad. Oh, that's sad. She doesn't really remember very much about the day, but she remembers that a picture frame fell off the wall and a bird flew into the house. And so in her little three-year-old mind, those two things like smashed together. So <laughs> she could be near a bird, 
but she couldn't look at pictures of them. And she would refuse to stay in a hotel room with artwork of birds. (laughs) As a very specific phobia. Hmm. Yeah. Very specific. Uh, This one is interesting. Lucy and Desi once owned Tara, Scarlett O'Hara's plantation in Gone with the Wind. In 1957, Desi Lu Productions bought all of RKO Pictures properties for six million and change quite a steal actually according to ball now we owned 33 more sound stages or 11 more than 20th century fox and four more than mgm not that she's keeping track um (laughs) (coughs) excuse me Ah. um we had fabulous permanent sets including the southern plantation exterior from gone with the wind fire scarred and weather beaten but still majestic interesting very interesting. Um, okay. Then I'm saving the best story for last. So I'm <laughs> going to make sure I didn't miss anything good. <clears throat> we talked about her eyebrows. Her mother put her in the yard. Birds. Okay. I think this is the best story. So one of the most famous episodes is the grape stomping episode. Well, apparently... She almost drowned in that vat of grapes. <laughs> this is the craziest story. I don't know how she wasn't like bitter about it, but here we go. <laughs> so <clears throat> when asked what her favorite I Love Lucy episode was, Ball would answer with a single word, grapes. And as funny as that iconic scene of a barefoot Lucy smashing grapes in a giant vat in Italy was, it was also one more physically challenging than it was meant to be as it turned into a real wrestling match. They wanted to get a, quote, little short, real Italian ladies that spoke Italian and were real grape stompers. They found three. A man that came with them told them in Italian what they were supposed to do. They agreed, and then they were on their own. I got into the vat with one, and she had been told that we would have a fight, Lucy said on the Dick Cavett show. She continued, I slipped, and in slipping, hit her accidentally, and she took offense until she hauled off and let me have it. Now, this was supposed to happen. She got that right. But when she hit Lucy, it took the wind out of her. She had been told that that we were to stay down for a while, give me a chance to get my legs way up so they'd show in the camera. Then up would come an arm, and then both of them, my head was supposed to, but, well, my head never popped up. She'd get me down by the throat. I had grapes up my nose and my ears, and she was choking me, and I'm really beating her to get her off me. She didn't understand that she had to let me up once in a while. I was drowning in these grapes. Apparently, the woman spent so much time beating the hell out of Lucy that they had to cut half of it. I mean... (laughs) I don't know how she tells that story with any sort of humor in her voice because I would be kind of pissed, but or traumatized at the very least. Traumatized, yeah. That's crazy. Anyway, so she's one of many, many iconic female comedians that we probably should talk about. Um, Like I said, that's one of my, um, I don't know, passions, I guess, comedy in general. So um, it was fun to talk about her. But uh, yeah, we'll have to talk about some of these other gals in separate shows. Yeah, there's a lot of trailblazers in a lot of different ways on here. Oh, yeah. And if you um, didn't listen to our episode on Betty White, go back in the episodes a bit. 
it's um, by far our most popular episode. Um, I think we aired it right after she died, mm-hmm. which I'm still pissed about. <laughs> she was I like, see you, 2022. She was just done. Um, I think we aired it right after that, which I think um, is why so many people picked up on. But anyway, it's a it's a good one. So I think that's about all the tidbits we have on um, on Lucy. So uh, that's it for this comedic episode. We hope this has given you firmer breasts. <laughs> oh, boy. Or we hope you enjoyed it. But if it did, send pics. <laughs> <laughs> we hope it boosted your dopamine. Or we'd appreciate it if you follow us on Instagram <laughs> at bitchstory.pod. <laughs> we hope we've made your eyelashes longer. Oh, boy. Okay. Leave us glowing reviews. (laughs) False advertising. Fake news. Remember Mm -hmm. to always check the show notes for cool info and links. And please follow my other podcasts, Bitch Splaining. Episode one is up now. And Bitch Scopes, which is the astrology podcast of my weekly Bitch Scopes. Do that, please. (laughs) I'm excited that you started Bitch Splaining again. I didn't know. I know. It's it's been fun so far. We have good things coming. Awesome. Uh, please keep talking at your local representatives. They work for you. Mm-hmm. And vote the patriarchy out this fall. Don't skip November, please. Oh, God, yes. November is coming. November. So, <laughs> yes, vote. Also, if you live in, like, the South, please do some research on which motherfuckers you need to vote out <laughs> and vote them out. Um, there are... I'll put some links in the show notes because there's a few sources um, on Instagram that do a really good job of telling which motherfuckers need to go. So <laughs> um, it's really important. But I mean, if we're going to call it Rovember, we better back up what the fuck we're talking about. So mm-hmm. please vote and please vote the patriarchy the fuck out. Yeah. Yes. It's time. But please join us again next time for an enlightening episode about badass women doing amazing things since forever. And remember, well-behaved women seldom make history. Have a great week. Go make bitch Bye. Bye.